0: Hey guys welcome in to this latest episode of lunch with lindsay and i'm really excited you're here this episode is one that i've been thinking about for a while and i wanted to find the right time to share it i've been really intrigued by sports psychology for a long time and i really love getting to the bottom of what makes a championship team find the kind of chemistry that helps to catapult that team to the highest level i also love focusing on individual athletes and what they do to get their head right, to stay in the game, to keep their focus, to motivate them. I have found the same type of thing really fascinating when it comes to musicians, to entertainers, people out there who just generally find a way to succeed at what they do. Right? So I think it's fascinating. And I had an opportunity when I was covering the Indy 500 to sit down with one of my favorite musicians of all time, Joel, who was singing the national anthem at the Indy 500. And I'm not kidding. I probably listened to her music on repeat like for an entire decade. I love her stuff. I still, I listened to her lullabies when my children were little. Um, But I paired Joel in this conversation with IndyCar driver, David Malukas, who's in his second full season with IndyCar. car he was about to make his second start in the indy 500 and he has a mental coach he talks about it a lot he's very open about it and about some of the battles that he had as a rookie and jewel is also very focused on making mental health um you know it, practices accessible for people. She has just created a mental health platform called Inner World, so she spoke about that. She was also very candid about her journey, as was David, and I love the way the two of these connect on so many things that I think are important. With the news cycle the way it is, we just saw Simone Biles, come back after a two year absence from competition to focus on her mental health, um, to compete and succeed. And it's also something that's coming up for me in the world of horse racing with jockeys having a lot of um, conversation around the mental health topic. So I hope you love this episode as much as I do. I hope that you take away things that might make you think, hmm, that's an interesting way to view this. So enjoy, let me know what you think. Here it is, Jewel and David Malukas. This is so exciting singer, songwriter, author, actress, entrepreneur, right? Jewel, it's so great to have you here, but also David Malukas, uh, your second year racing in the Indy 500, driver of the number 18 for Dale Coyne with HMD Racing. This is so cool, because I think there are so many connections, I think, that maybe the two of you have, but I want to start with, this is really the second time for both of you. So Jewel, you're singing the national anthem for the second time here. David, you're running it for the second time. So I want to hear what this is like.
1: Wait,
2: you run? I'm kidding. <laughs> that joke. Yes, right. Fast, very, very fast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 230 miles an hour. What is it like for you being back a second time?
1: It feels very good. I mean, it's a rush of emotions. Last season, coming down Gasoline Alley for my first time, it was definitely very nerve-wracking. Um, many different feelings that I was getting at that moment. But then again, very excited. Um, and of course, I have a mental coach to go through all of it. I feel like. Drivers don't really talk about it too much. It's all about physicality. Oh yeah, my neck is strong. Got the muscles. I'm ready to go. But I feel like, you know, all of it is is up there. And I uh, so with with my mental coach, he he gives me different techniques and, and different things to tell me. And anytime I tell him, you know, it's like, hey, people say being nervous is kind of a bad thing, right? Generally, it's oh, you know, it's you don't want to be saying it. But my my coach told me, hey, you know live into it. Like, if you're nervous, that's because you care and realistically the way your body reacts is the same way you're excited. So you could always just tell yourself that you're just very excited for the occasion.
0: So how would you describe yourself in this moment getting ready for tomorrow's race?
1: Generally, I actually feel quite calm. You know, coming in from a second time, I mean, then again, once I actually, I feel like, come into the circuit and see 325,000 people all looking down, it's uh, it's definitely going to be a different feeling and I don't think You can be immensely prepared to experience that. I feel like whatever emotions you feel, you're just going to have to accept and go through them.
2: Wow. Can you relate to what he's saying? Yeah, I think definitely. You know, It's funny that so few people really talk about what it is to manage our minds and our thoughts and our feelings, but we all have minds and thoughts and feelings, and so we are always managing them, um, and sometimes more successfully than others. And so to be able to have strategies is really important. And nobody's, you know, ashamed to talk about flossing. Why would anybody be ashamed to talk about, that, yeah, nerves, I've got to figure out how to channel this. <laughs> right, so
0: what's it like for you getting ready to do what you're about to do, singing the national anthem here
2: in front of this crowd at this event? I find it really interesting because I like nerves and I like pressure a lot, you know, and I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that enjoy that and really thrive on it, and you do learn how to channel that so it, gives you extra energy because it can get away from you and it can just cause you to lose your ability to focus. So it's kind of like riding a wave or what riding something powerful. I'm also fascinated because sometimes the body has its own reaction. Like I remember doing the anthem at a Super Bowl once and I knew the song. I was really prepared. I was really calm. And when I stepped up to the mic, my heart rate did its own thing. Really? And that made me out of breath. And I was I was like, oh, wait, now I have to sing this out of breath. And that was so different. And it was just like my body almost having its own animal reaction to just the volume of people. And so you just learn being around long enough that you just figure it out if you have to. How did you get through that, that song, Out of Breath? Uh, you just learn to manage. You know, it's funny. You just, you luckily, experience really pays off. And you just yeah, you lean out on. what to do, and you lean on that, you know, trusting wow. yourself. You can't change what you ignore. You know, so I think people that say, you know, that's why disassociating just doesn't work very well and that's why your, you know, person who works with you says move toward it because then you can start to change it and work with it because it's biochemical and we have to work with that chemistry in our bodies.
0: What are the types of things that drivers deal with related to that, where with your body reaction during the race or before the race?
1: Yeah, it could be, I mean, so many different situations, uh, especially if you, let's say, have, you know, a bad practice session or a bad run before a race. And you know, you of course you you go online and you start seeing hate comments and different things. And for me, last season, being a rookie, I would see comments, you know, where it's oh he's a rookie, he doesn't belong here, you know, and, and he kind of needs to, you know, show that worth, right? Like I, I have to work here, and, and people only see what's right in front of you. And of course, you know, I read that, and you tell yourself, oh, it won't affect me. It's okay. It's just some random person. I can move forward. Um, but like she said you, you can't ignore these feelings you can't ignore your emotions You can try to but they're always going to be there and the best advice I ever got in you know for these these situations is to Accept those feelings go into them learn how to manipulate them so that in the end, you know It can be better for you. And so now you know what if I, I see messages or certain things like that. I always use the, the the teaching that I was taught from from my mental coach, which was to reassure myself tell myself everything I've done to get to this point every time I go out there do I have the, the confidence to, to win a race You know if I'm out there to, to be successful look at the the past moments that I've had and kind of put that all together And you know then I can finally move on and I'd be like you know what No, that he's wrong He doesn't understand the, the full story of it and I still do believe in myself
0: It's sort of like I love what you've talked about making anxiety your ally, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the same thing that David's talking about
2: Yeah, you know, I think that just like we've learned to curate our diet, you know, we Mm -hmm. know eating certain things makes us feel bad. We have to curate what we're thinking and feeling and what we're willing to ingest. Because a lot of times anxiety is a side effect of a thought, a feeling, or an action that we're ingesting, just like you feel physically sick if you eat bad fish or something like Mm -hmm. that. Your body's having a reaction to that. And so, like, for me, learning to limit, like, I don't look at my social media, I don't, like, I don't look at things like that, especially if I know I have to be in a certain mental state. And so I'll restrict my ability to intake that information. Is that hard to do? No, not really. You know, just okay. it's, for me, it's just discipline. Just like, you know, sometimes it's like you want to eat the potato chip, but you've learned not to. Right. So <laughs> you just kind of learn to restrict, you know, other times I can read that stuff. But in certain moments, I know I can't read that going into this. And so you just learn that kind of discipline. And then with what he said, you know, it's not just having a positive thought. It's what thing do you want to underline in your mind? You know, um, mm-hmm. do you want to underline? And for me, it's telling myself the truth, you know, things that are true about me that I can rely on that I've proven to myself over and over. Um, so it's not just like, I'm. G- it's going to be great. It's not like that. It's like, I've really prepared for this or, you know, things like that that are really true.
0: Do you feel like maybe early on in your career, did you have the same type of struggle where it's like you're trying not to listen to that stuff, but it seeps in? Did you have experiences you know, like
2: that? I think for all of us in the public eye, you really have to learn um a part of you needs to take feedback because we have to be coachable. Mm-hmm. And we are in our, an environment where, you know, I'm in the service industry. People do need to like my music. It's important. But you can't let it wag the dog, as it were. And so I think part of maturing in these industries is you have to learn which opinions you're really going to take deeply and which ones you only let come, you know, not even skin deep.
0: Is that how you feel? And you built—you built a little team around you, sort of.
1: Of course, yeah, I, It's yeah. it feels very similar, you know, when I go out for a race, I mean, personally now I, I kind of just, it, I've gotten much better throughout this this past season that I don't really let those things come in, you know, like she said, you, you restrict yourself and for, through all the reassurance that I've gotten, I kind of just am now looking at more of me and myself and, and the race car and I'm just having a very good time. I, I love every time I go out there and every time I put my helmet on, everything kind of just can snap out of it and I can just focus what's at hand and just enjoy the moment of racing at the Indianapolis 500.
0: What's the biggest thing you learned from last year that you're able to take with you going into this race?
1: Oh, so many different things when it comes to, to driving and, and from, from outside, you know, and talking with people and, and kind of getting settled. But I'd say the main thing, just the, the simplest thing for me, was that the race is very, very long That very caught me off guard. I mean, whatever I thought was long, it was tenfold. Really? Yeah, I remember going on the radio. I'm like, okay, this is the last (laughs) set, right? They're like, nope, we have four more stops. So (laughs) yeah, and I was out of water. It was a bit of a disaster. So I was kind of trying to to make it to the end. It was a very long race. But uh, in the end, you know, we went through it. So this time I'm mentally going to be prepared. It's a long one, take my time with everything. How
0: thirsty were you at the end?
1: I was yeah, I was very very thirsty. I, actually, I couldn't even get out of the car. So when I came, when they came back, yeah, they had to actually pull me out and kind of help me out. And then uh, I sat. And of course, since we're going in a circle. Once I got out, actually, I was very dizzy, so I was all sitting right. with my head tilted a little bit to the left because if I went to the right, everything started to spin. So I was sitting there all hunched over with water. It, yeah, it was uh, it was something I've never experienced before.
2: And to join with Camaraderie, I decided to sing every single verse of the National Anthem, every, uh, <laughs> you know, just because just I want to be there.
0: <laughs> I think the crowd will absolutely love it. Um, Free Willing Woman, I would love to know. I, I, I was reading about how you did that and what the process was
2: behind it can you share a little about about i can't even talk can you share a little bit about that yeah the new album's called freewheeling woman it's the first album i've written from scratch um historically i've always had thousands of songs in my back catalog and so i just picked songs and instead of doing that this time i really wanted it to be who i was now you know i'm 49 two days ago and it's fun it's fun for me to be my age in this business that isn't that kind of women and I love my age I love being this age I love where I'm at with my talent and so I wanted the whole album just reflect that that's so cool so what what how did you do it how did you make those songs was there a different technique that you used at all it was actually really hard it was a really psychological thing because I think there was this well there was this voice in my head that's like you should write a song back like that one or Uh, This isn't like the song you wrote when you were 20 or Mm -hmm. what will people think about this now? It was just like a much more psychologically difficult thing to get rid of a lot of. And then things, you know, that don't help you, at least in songwriting. Like I knew the chorus should come 30 seconds into a song. It's a dumb thing to think or know, but it's a known thing in my industry. Mm -hmm. So learning to ignore those things and just get really raw again took me a while. I think I wrote 200 songs to get the 12 I like for
1: this album. Wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's wild. And yeah. how many songs are in the, the final album? Twelve. Wow, yeah. okay. That's, <laughs> that's a oh lot. My gosh. That's a lot of work. I okay. for it. <laughs> so how
0: did you choose the final twelve?
2: The only only twelve ones I liked. <laughs> <laughs> but that's
0: also fascinating. I didn't realize that, and this is going to sound kind of simple, but I didn't understand that a lot of artists do that with back catalogs, just not being in that industry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't
2: I don't know if a lot of artists do, I just was always prolific. So I was just lucky. I never and had write, and write an album. Yeah.
0: Wow. It's like your toolbox. What's in your toolbox of racing strategy?
1: Oh boy, I mean, it, we thankfully I have a whole team with me to, to all come to different conclusions. Um, and we, we, have, we run through many different scenarios and we, what we try to do is kind of create many different plans before the race starts. So that once we, once we actually begin the race, if things go differently, a certain yellow flag comes out, now we can go to plan Z, to plan D, to plan E, uh, and, and kind of work from there. Uh, Because with racing, there's so many different things you can do. You can box a little bit earlier. Now you have new tires. You can try to catch up to the next people before they pit and undercut them. Or you can wait a little bit longer. Once they pit, then you can push those last two laps. So it's kind of working off of different nitpicks and things to do. Um, But mentally, you know, I've gone through many pre-race rituals of meditation. That is something that I've found to do. And personally, I needed, you know, I use certain apps and certain tools and of course, once I have my mental coach, he he guides me through them. And now I just put on some sort of headphones. Obviously, in a, in a racetrack, I put noise-canceling ones on to try to <laughs> cut all the noise off. And I put some sort of white noise in the background. You know, if it could be, first I really like, you know, just thunderstorms, something just very peaceful. And, and then I just kind of let my thoughts go. And then, and I don't. My meditation is very different. It's not very controlling. It's just whatever thought goes through my head, I'll be. Closing my eyes, I think of a bagel, I'm thinking about a bagel now, you know, and I kind of just let those thoughts go through and it kind of makes me happy because it makes me forget about all the stress around me. And then once I go in the car, I feel very refreshed and so, so, so.
0: How close do you do that to when you get in the car?
1: As close as I can be. Um, so, I mean, realistically, it would have to be probably for, for tomorrow, around two, two and a half hours beforehand because we have the driver intros and all that. So for this race it's a little bit tougher than the normal ones, it is a very big one. so. The pressure still builds up, but it is still better than nothing.
0: Joel, do you have a ritual or something that you make sure to do each time before you go on stage?
2: You know, what he was saying is there's a lot of science behind it in case mm-hmm. people don't know. Because um, a lot of people think meditation means you should have no thoughts, which is really hard. We have thoughts. And so every time you notice you're having a thought, That's actually the goal of meditation is just noticing it like, oh, I was thinking about a bagel. That's actually a neurological (laughs) bicep curl that helps you be present. And the reason being present is so important is because that helps you be there to make a decision. When you're not present or you catch something late, you aren't going to be able to react as quickly as someone else. And so it gives you tremendous advantage, uh, which is why we're doing so much. I have a mental company and that's why we train so many people to meditate is because, you know, there's also neurochemical response, your blood pressure dilates, you, you relax, your blood pressure lowers, it's different, like calming neurochemicals, and so it really works.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's, so what you've created is called Inner World, Yeah. right, and it's a virtual mental health platform.
2: Yeah.
0: What more should we know about that? It sounds so helpful and impactful. Yeah,
2: so Inner World is kind of between meditation, where you can learn to meditate on an app, and one-on-one therapy, and so what we do is you can come on through just your iPad or your iPhone. You can also use it in VR goggles, but you come in and there's a community of live people, and then we teach DBT and CBT skills. Okay. And so you could come in just for anxiety or just for social anxiety. So or cognitive just for behavioral. Grief. Yeah. Yeah, and we teach skills in these sort of anonymous
1: but group settings. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, that is, it's fun. We really and- like it. And is the app, you can find on anything, app store, any, yeah, any device? Yeah. on any
2: device, it's inner world or inner dog world. And it's, is it free? Yeah, so it's, it's a free. freemium platform, so okay. free to join many classes and to come into the community. Uh, there's a live guide 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. So wow. it's safe, it's troll free, um, and then it's $8 a month for like the premium.
1: So if you just get any certain moment, let's say you get a panic attack, you yeah. can open up the app and there's always going to be somebody there waiting for yeah. you. Wow, that's yeah. that's very cool.
2: Yeah, and I wanted to be just affordable, real help. Um, and then again, based on these scientifically proven tools, we're also a clinical research platform, so again, anonymously... We do track outcomes to make sure that everybody's Mm -hmm. getting the benefit because results matter. We want people to feel better.
0: Why were you so um, passionate about creating this? What was it that really sparked it?
2: Not enough people have access to great mental health care. Um, Right now we're 500,000 therapists short in the country. And so if Mm. people want to find a mental coach, it's hard. It's hard to find somebody that specializes that way or a therapist. And so those are... Incredibly important things to have, but not everybody has access, and that's unacceptable. There are great tools that work, that can work at scale, that can work anonymously, and so that's where I was focused.
0: That's amazing!
2: Wow. It's so fun too, because when you do put on the goggles, it's like you're so immersed. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. What? What? Walk me through what that feels like. I don't. Yeah. So it, like I said, it works without the goggles, but okay. when you put the goggles on, the music, and it's it causes your nervous system to unwind like that because you're it's like being transported to somewhere beautiful. (laughs) It's like, with beautiful sound and really safe environment. It's incredible.
1: It's probably just activating more senses, you know, instead of just when I put my headphones on, it's just, you know, some white noise and I have to imagine you can actually put the goggles on and see some different place. So
2: we have a lot of soldiers who will do it. And they'll put on their headsets, and it tunes everything out, and your vagus nerve reaction, it switches into your parasympathetic nervous system. Wow, that's very impressive. I
1: just just say bagel in my head, and she's (laughs) over here giving all the science behind it. Well,
0: no, that's what's so cool, though, is like you've really done all this research. How do you find the time to do that?
2: I just think this is so important. Um, You know, I moved out at 15. I started having panic attacks at Mm -hmm. 15. I became agoraphobic, which is a fear of leaving your home. I became homeless by 18. I was in a lot of trouble. And so I had to find a way to make myself feel better, but I didn't have access to therapy. I didn't have the money for traditional things. And I had to find tools. And for me, I started inventing behavioral tools because I noticed if I affect how I'm acting or what I'm thinking, my body felt differently.
1: And mm-hmm. so that's
2: what started to get me into this type of stuff. And then I formed a foundation to see if like, these tools could work for other people with or without therapy. Turns out they can. And then now, of course, there's CBT and DBT, mm-hmm. very well-studied scientific tools.
0: Do you think that there was something that you can now look back on and say, that was the it that made you like make it, having to deal with all of those things that you
2: were dealing with at the time? I think for me, one, it was just the commitment not to give up. Like, just stubbornly saying, I'm going to do something different today than I did yesterday and see if it makes me feel better. I'm not going to do something final. And I'm just going to keep trying. And I think that was a huge commitment. And then I think after that, when I realized I would just focus on one painful thing, like, what's my biggest pain point? It was my panic attacks. Mm -hmm. I just started to work on that. What will help me make a difference in my panic attacks? And you stay very focused on that. And then I was homeless at the time and I was shoplifting. That was clearly the next thing I needed to work on I was getting <laughs> up in jail. So that was my next pain point. Now that I'm not panicking, how do I stop stealing? And so being very loyal and that's why with, with inner world, the groups, there's like hundreds of meetings mm-hmm. a week and it's because it's just focused on one skill. Like one wow. Point. So it's, it's that specific. Mm-hmm. So wait, so
0: how did you, how did you stop the shoplifting? What was it that you used as a tool? to do that
2: the very first thing and why mindfulness is so powerful is because you have to learn to be present if we're Mm -hmm. going to change anything on our lives we actually have to be there in real time so that as we notice we're angry or as we notice we're having you know self-defeating thoughts we can do something about it and so that's like getting your car off of Mm -hmm. autopilot and into neutral but we can't live in neutral we have to go somewhere in life we have Mm -hmm. actions and so that's where you want a behavioral tool now that you're present now that you are abstaining from a knee-jerk reaction, what do I want to replace that with? And so for me, it was learning to replace dealing with writing. And I was a very prolific thief, so I became a very prolific writer. And I just wanted to say, like, you know, for all of us, we're ambitious. You know, mm-hmm. all, any of us in any of these pressured jobs are ambitious. And you can't focus on a result any more than a tree can make a pear grow. You have to be really thoughtful and loyal to growth and then fruit happens all by itself as an accident. Mm-hmm. It's a side effect of being loyal to the process. And I think that really helps, like, when we're loyal to the process, you realize the results take care of themselves.
0: I was so interested in that conversation, especially because, to be honest, the second Joel walked into that room, I was like, I love everything about her outfit, and I love her cowboy hat. And then when she talked, I was like, you know, her songwriting is so prolific, as she said, and so um, just amazing, but the way she talks is equally as thoughtful. So I really enjoyed that conversation. I loved hearing the way that she was describing um, you know, being very intentional with what you're trying to do and really taking time in your thoughts. And David, I really appreciated how open he was because he didn't necessarily say this, but that sport, motorsports are, are so competitive, so fun to watch, so dangerous, you know? And there is a real level of risk that is also involved with that sport. So I thought that it was really cool for someone to share the things that he does to battle some of those insecurities. So I encourage you to go check out Joel's Inner World, also her new album, and with David, he did not finish that Indy 500 because he got into another car. However, he continues to embark on a successful, um, you know, full season. So I know that we'll be watching Malukas for years to come. Anyway, thank you for watching and listening to this podcast episode. Let me know what you think and what you want to hear more of, what you want to see more of. Like and subscribe. Tell your friends to get it anywhere they get their podcasts and have a great week. I'll be back soon.